755 is real with David O'Brien and Eric O'Flaherty. It is on the air now. Welcome back to 755 is real, the inaugural uh, episode of 2023. We thought we'd kick it off in a big way with special guests. We got Alex Anthopoulos with us, the Braves mastermind executive of the year. What's up, yeah, Alex? Right. How you doing? Doing all right. Doing all right. Excited to be on. Took five years to get the invite. I don't know if you guys have been around five years, but it took five years to get the invite, so it's cool. Right. Um, Eric O'Flaherty, regular uh, co-host out in Walla Walla. What's up, Eric? Not much. How you doing, Dave? I'm doing all right. Uh, before we came on, Alex was talking about how they how they screwed up at Toronto, not uh, claiming – Eric on waivers back in the day when the Braves got him for what twenty grand. <laughs> yes, we we wanted him, and you know the, we didn't know he was going to be that good. But I remember he got DFA. He's on waivers. Pretty sure we had priority and a claim because Braves were probably a lot better than we were at the time. Yep. And uh, they didn't like his back, you know. So big mistake because he would have been awesome to have. But we wouldn't be doing this podcast today. There would have been, been, been no Ovemperl. There would have been no Ovemperl. I might have gone to the AL East and got torn up and right. have no stories to tell. True. Hey, Edgar did. You were talking about that back stuff you did. Edgar Renteria did some similar stuff too every day. He had Because he had that uh, curvature of the back that he yeah. had for the second half of his career. But uh, anyway, Alex, uh, so I couldn't help but think, but watching last night's colossal beatdown with UGA, uh, good Lord, I haven't seen a national championship game like oh, that man. or, or any half, championship. Was, yeah, was, we watched too, and it was uh, – yeah, it was, it was – I, you know, again, I, I like Georgia, but I didn't grow up here, didn't go to school there, so it doesn't – it's not the same for me, right? Yeah. And I still want a close game. Yeah, everybody does, except UGA. Everybody. So by halftime, it was just – now, <laughs> it's terrible. the friends we were with, they loved it, right? It'd be like – try to give me the analogy of like the Braves game. You want it to be tight or you want to be up? Right, right. Like, yeah, but that's my job. but i couldn't help but think since you guys won the world series and ended the so-called uh curse of atlanta sports uga has now won two national championships i don't think we're hearing anything more about georgia and atlanta teams and how they do and all that no i mean it's it's pretty cool you know and i was even um you know obviously being here five years now i understand how big georgia is georgia football the sec just the community right right and I would think this is the golden era of UGA, right? Like oh, we man. got to live it. Our kids, you know, I'm like my kids didn't know any other young, they're 10 and 12, uh, but they've been here five years. So like, this is all they know. Right. So they're watching and they got their friends there with jerseys and this and that. And, um, you know, this is hope we're going to look back and say like, this is the golden era. And now they're talking about Stetson Bennett being the greatest Georgia player of all time. And that's um, you know, and it's, it's, it's cool. You know, knowing what it means here in the community that like we got to be here right when that was going on. Yeah. I mean, you've had Alabama has been undisputedly the gold standard of, of college football for a decade or more, the whole, uh, the whole era and yeah. with Nick there. And now, I mean, right now Georgia has displaced them. I mean, you couldn't say that after one national title, but they won two now and, and they're in good shape for next year too. So it's something to see, you know, with those two teams in the in, in the SEC. But uh, well, I mean, to me, the best—I mean, the fact that they lost that many players. Like you think about uh, it from yeah. you know, and a, and to the draft. Course, it's not the same, but like imagine you lose that many players off your roster and to go back and do it again and be dominant, go undefeated. Yeah, um, it's incredible. You know, like I, 
again, it's just growing up in Canada and so on. I'm more, I like watching players, right? So like my Georgia friends cringe when I say this, but like I like watching Bama the last two years because I love watching Bryce Young. Bryce Young's not on the team. I'm not going to have a whole lot of interest to watch their games, but man, I love watching Bryce Young play. Just the poise, the ease, yeah. the fluidity with how he plays. Like he's awesome. And I'm more interested and I'll do that with college hoops, right? Like I want to go watch individual players, how they're going to transition to pro ball and so on. So, uh, but look, what they've done, just the program, the turnover, uh, we got to meet, or I got to meet, I was I think I'd met him before. Kirk Kirby Smart came to one of our games beginning of 22, and uh, we got to meet with him probably 10 minutes, let's say tops. But you could tell then he was concerned about, he was asking questions about what it was like because they hadn't started up yet. Uh-huh. Just to repeat, you know, you see the interviews, he's talking about entitlement and worried about where they're going to lose their edge. And you could see he was, you know, constantly just he's, he's on, right? And that's why he's successful. He's always never going to take his foot off the gas at all. So it's incredible. Um, and it's cool. It's great for the state. What about winning culture? I know you hate that word culture, but how about just attitude or vibe around a program? There's got to be similarities between, I know it's a college program, but you, but you guys are trying to do the same thing and you've been able to do the same thing with five straight division titles. Does it kind of permeate? Do you think when you've win, when you have that winning, constant winning, uh, where you don't take a step back and have to rebuild and all that. Is there a different vibe to a team that you, now that you've been with this team for five straight division titles? Yeah. And the reason like, look, I know obviously the word culture, there's a real reason it exists. It's, you know, you need to put a term on it. Right. But I guess I just, I, I push back against the thought of like, let's say I get the GM job with the Braves and I'm in my interview and I'm like, we're going to change the culture. How many times did you hear that? You know, yeah. and I'm not changing anything. I'm not down on that clubhouse. I'm not, <laughs> there's not a manual. I'm not handing out a manual to the guys. And this is the Braves culture. This is what we're doing. Right? right. I just don't believe in that. I think like you can read all types of like books on it and so on. And I think, you know, the people you choose to bring in. So yeah, by design, you choose to bring in a certain type of, now at the college level, when you're recruiting, I'd be curious to ask this question. Like you need talent, right? They're only there for three years. Mm-hmm. Um, and are you that selective? on the people, right. And like the characters. So, um, the people make the culture, you know, I don't think, and you can say that we as a front office or a group can set aside a certain, you know, core group of values and things we look for and go out and get those guys that embody those things or, you know, basically we'll follow through on that, but we don't trade for a guy. Like when we add jock and, and vote, right. For example, mm-hmm. I didn't say, Hey guys, this is the Braves way. This is the Braves culture. Here's the manual. You got to read up mm-hmm. on it. You got a quiz tomorrow, right? I did my work on, and we did our work on Jock and Vote. I knew Jock from LA. Vote, we did our work as an organization, what kind of guy he was, right? And the only thing I would tell those guys, I'm not going to tell them what they need to do playing-wise, is, hey, we need some life right now, right? We've been kicked yeah. around a bunch. We're hurting a little bit. We got trade deadline. I need some energy. I know what you guys bring. Um I'm not telling a quiet guy to do that, right? Because mm-hmm. that's not who they are. But we're not acquiring those guys. So by design, look, those guys can both play, but they were targeted specifically because at that moment in time, we needed to change the vibe. And I don't think it's a culture thing, but like they're fun loving, they're happy go lucky, they got swag, they got an edge. Mm-hmm. You smile when you see those guys come in a room. Um, you know, vote I'd always heard is awesome. He's funny, he's charismatic. Now, obviously, we knew performance-wise what he could do as well, but I told them both, like, I need you guys to bring what you bring, and that's <laughs> yeah. the energy and everything else. Like, 
I told them our clubhouse is it's kind of down. It's down in the dumps right now. They need a little life. You know, and that's not to take anything away from those guys. They're great players. But, you know, I remember um, at one point a few weeks later, uh, I'm in Snit's office and Vote walks in and he wanted to get permission from Snit. He's like, look, it's time. He's like, I need to bring out, you know, he does his ref thing, right? He gets the uni. Yeah. He's like, it's time. Like, yeah. I, today's the day. I got to do it. I want to make sure you're okay. I was just in there with Snit, right? He wasn't, he's asking, want to make sure Snit was cool with it. Um, but that's the type of stuff you can't yeah. quantify, right? right. Like, that's his instincts, his feel, his vibe, his sense. And, you know, even his last game, he actually said he's going to go out and hit two bombs before yeah. the game. And he did. He ended up getting hurt. But, um, <laughs> you know, does that mean you're going to win 100 games? No, but I do think there's a feel, right? You need talent, of course, but there's other components to it because it's every day. And obviously, Eric's, he's lived all this stuff. So um, he played with vote. Yeah, they, yeah. Yeah, they said it. Like, so the players, Set the culture, set the tone. I just, I just don't believe in going to buy a book and right. reading about how to be a leader, how to set culture. I, I just, I'm, I'm so. It's just not me. So yeah, get right not, people and you go. can't fake it. You're not gonna yeah. have a book the Braves no. way like the Cardinals way that they used to distribute back in the day. Yeah, look, we have things it's organizationally things that we believe in. Yeah, there's things organizationally that we believe in. But it's not because it's 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 an edict from one person, right? Like right. Snit's going to manage the way he manages. He believes in the, what he believes in, and he's setting the tone, being himself. You know the players, so it won't be the same each year, right? So there's certain core values we're going to have, and look, guys play every day here and things like that and so on. But if we get we look at the games played column when we acquire guys, right? Mm -hmm. So Sean Murphy started 116 games. Kurt Suzuki started, I think. Years ago, looking like 130 or something, right? Freddie Freeman, Nick Markakis, like we don't have to tell them, hey, fellas, we play every day here. Mm -hmm. We acquire those guys, right? It's the same way if you're looking at other sports, like who you drafting. You want strike throwers, you're drafting those guys. That's what we value. So I think it starts there. And then every year it's it it takes on its own life, its own image, its own you know, but the same core value should end up being there. And some of that stuff is just absolutely not quantifiable, too, because I know in a, in this day and age, people have access to more information than they've ever had, public information, yeah. analytics and all that. And it's easy to poo-poo that kind of stuff because there's really no way you can't see anything tangible if you're not talking to people who are in the clubhouse. So they might look at like the contributions vote make and go, okay, they could have won a World Series without him and not understand how valuable that was at that time to have him in that clubhouse and what he brought. And Jock, other than just the big hits, what Jock brought to the clubhouse. Yeah, and just like it's, sometimes it's like, look, a coach can – obviously they're going to do everything they can, but sometimes just like for anybody out there that has kids, right, you want your kids around certain people, you don't want them around other people, right? Like you try to yeah. eliminate – the bad influences. You want the good kids around them um, in a work environment, right? You work in an office setting. You have a bunch of people that you like and some people you don't like probably impacts how you come into work, how long you stay, your energy, your attitude, your career, create creativity, your discussion. And I can't tell you the number of times that like players make other players better. Not all the time, mm -hmm. but right. there's times that like one conversation, one piece of information is just, just like when you teach in a class, right? Like, you go through school and the content's the same, but the delivery from different people, it lands some other yeah, way, right. right? And certain people have an impact on individuals. And it could be that maybe it's not an, a thing that adds, but it doesn't, it avoids problems. So let's say some guy's really disgruntled, you know, he's whining and venting and he's ready to go into the manager's office and 
get upset or go pop off to the media or just do something that's just going to cause issues, right? Maybe a guy beside him ends up having a conversation with him or he talks him out of it, you know, or I'm not going to be specific because I'm still in the job, but like there's been, there's been moments where like something happens, guy has a conversation and like it turns the season around for the team, for the clubhouse, the, the atmosphere. Like I've always said in my mind, a good clubhouse, I think part of what it does is maybe the winning is not as, it's not a guarantee, but it prevents the floor from caving in. Right. You know, and you have a lot of times where things aren't going well. And with the bad clubhouse, the finger pointing, the complaining, the infighting. Um, And I think it's with the staff as well. Like, I'm sure I've seen it. Like, I've been around staffs that don't don't get along. And we have a good staff here. Like, are they all hanging out every day going to No, but, like, they get along. There's a respect there. And I think, like, yeah, the best hitting guy, like, even when we're doing staffing, like, they have to work together as a team. So I've said this even, like, if you're hiring a manager – the best manager for me might not be the best manager for some other GM. The best coach for SNIT might not be the best coach for some other manager, right? And it's a combination of things. It's just we're around each other way too much, way too often. Um, and look, separately from that, um, it's a quality of life thing. I don't like going down to the clubhouse and, like, I don't like the people there. And I just yeah. going to go the other way. And it's, players feel the same way. And, the most gratifying thing to me is when our players tell me, I love that you guys value clubhouse. And I like, this is such a good place. And like, it, it means a lot to me. Like I remember like 2020 and in, in the postseason. I think some of the relievers told me like, it's the best clubhouse I've ever been. And these are guys that have been in baseball a long time with a lot of teams. Like that's rewarding to me, you know? And of course you want to win, but um, knowing that it matters. And I only saw it when I finally committed to it. In Toronto, 2015, you know, 2014 off season, going into 20, 2015, and it was like I'm going to commit to this just one time, like, but fully commit and not cut corners because it's so easy. You have needs, you hold your nose. I'll bring in this guy, I'll bring in that guy. I'm like, I'm not doing it. I'm sticking with this, and it's tough because you're walking away from talent, but you ultimately see the impact of guys. So you bring in Latroy Hawkins, and he's going out to dinner with guys. And he's, you know, showing Aaron Sanchez the rope and some of these other players. And the atmosphere, the vibe, um, being in that clubhouse every day, it's a great place to be. And then I think it spills out onto the field, and the fans see it too. And the fans fall in love with the team. Yeah. So I think it's just total combination. Of course, winning is king. But I think when you can combine it, that's the way you should do it. Eric, let's hear from today's sponsors. Has that made it uh, more difficult the last couple of years to see the guys that, uh, I mean, you're not going to keep everybody, obviously, even if you have a $300 million payroll, but to see the guys that you've seen leave through free agency, Freddie Freeman, Dansby, and now um, you get, uh, the bullpen has been so important for you guys. Huge. And you just lost one of your key guys that goes to San Francisco with a, on a free agent deal. Um, has that are those departures tougher to take because of what they bring overall, or do you just have to accept that you're not going to be able to keep every single guy? Both, it's tough. I think about it definitely because you know what they bring, you know how important it is, and you wonder, okay, there's going to be a void, right? And like, how does that void get filled? It will get filled organically, whether somebody wants to or not. It just happens, yeah. right? You're just that that'll just get filled. Definitely won't be the same, right? Yeah. No individual can replace any individuals at all, um, but. 
that's why I've talked about before, like you want to flood the clubhouse, right? Ideally. And if you can get 26 to 26, great. Hard to do. Mm-hmm. But um, you flood the clubhouse. And if you lose guys, which is tough, and certain guys are going to hurt more than others, if the other guys are quality individuals, like maybe they step out of their shells. Like in the front office, it's the same thing. You lose people, individuals. All of a sudden, people are going to be brought into more prominent roles. And like they might find out about themselves a little bit, right? And do more. And, but I wouldn't sit down with anybody. And I know Snit certainly wouldn't and say, all right, we lost these guys. You got to be, be this guy, yeah. you know, like they're going to find their own spot. But I think about it all the, all the time, right? Even when we lost Freddie last year, I was like, man, how's this going to work? You know, mm-hmm. such a mainstay pillar. Um, and organically, it just like, we didn't have a team meeting. Like everyone knew. Um, but we had enough good guys that organically they together as a group, came up with it, you know, now you want to do it every single year. No, you're going to lose something, right? Like you realize that. Um, but if you keep trying to bring in quality guys, uh, I think you should be able to survive. It's probably the best way to put it, you know, because I don't, I can't tell you the other guys, how they're going to react and how they have to be themselves. Yeah. So, um, you know, but that being said, you still need depth. You still need talent, right? Like, look, we had those guys that we lost, they were there in 2021 when we were under 500 and they're having great seasons, you mm-hmm. know, and like they did everything they could. And then you throw in Riley and Charlie Morton and Max free. Like those guys were having awesome years. Ozzy Albies was a free agent. So like I'm listing a lot of guys. Yeah. They're great guys. And we're having great years. And even then they can't do it alone. Right. They only get four at bats. They only start once every five days. They can only pitch so many days out of, out of the pen. So like that doesn't guarantee winning. So it is a reminder of like, you still need to be deep. And I think that's the hardest part in this is that yeah, we don't have a salary cap, but in a way you all have a number that you work with, mm-hmm. right? So um, you know that you're going to have to make it all fit. You know that you want your guys to get more expensive because they're going to be playing well. Like it doesn't do us any good for guys to have bad <laughs> seasons or get hurt. Now they're not going to do as well in salary arbitration the following year, right? That yeah. doesn't do us any good. So in theory, you want these guys to win silver sluggers, be all-stars, keep getting raises and so on. Um, but I've said this, there's only so much pie to go around, right? So there's a payroll number. And the one thing I know is that we can't have 10 good players and the rest of the roster is below average. You know, even if those guys are elite, it's probably not going to be good enough. And it's finding that balance. And it's hard. It's hard on fans. Like I have my kids and my wife tell me all the time, right? You're going to lose these guys? You know, like, come on. <laughs> You're going to get crushed. Yeah, and, yeah. And I know it's hard. Um you- but we were expected to put a good team out on the field, and uh, which means we're going to have tough decisions to make, especially if these guys become great players, which in turn has transitioned us to being more aggressive signing players. Like, yeah, I've never been apt to sign guys with a year of service or less than a year of service. I'd rather wait four or five, six years. Uh-huh. But we've changed that in light of how hard it is to keep players. Your bullpen – uh, Erica, he's talked. You've talked about how important it is. Obviously, what the Braves have done is established such a good bullpen, and the rapport in that bullpen, the camaraderie has been off the charts. You lose Luke; he's obviously a huge piece of it. But you bring in Jimenez. You must be big. You must have be convinced that Jimenez is going to bring because he's going to be a prominent role. Obviously, that he's going to yeah. bring a lot to that bullpen too. To that, whole yeah, he's oh, so Jimenez is a great guy. Everyone we do the work on, Lucas Licky, great guy. Yeah. So Chavez is coming into camp. Stevens is back. Obviously, guys that were here. 
Colin McHugh, AJ Minter, Iglesias. Yeah, forget Chavez. All he does it's is easy smile. Chavez you know? will be back again. Yeah, he'll just smile. Um, and <laughs> so we have a good group, but there's no doubt Will Smith, Luke Jackson, Josh Tomlin, Darren O'Day. I mean, character, great people. And like, and look, I'd say this like, Darren O'Day and Josh Tomlin really set the tone for the bullpen. I think like being here, like bringing yeah. it together. Um, those guys really set the tone and it just got carried forward. And you hope the guys that are still here, the younger guys like an AJ Minter and so on, like they talk about hopefully, and I'm sure Eric's got examples of guys he played with, like, Hey, Darren O'Day taught me this. Josh Tomlin taught me this. Right. And they're going to be the old guys at some, some point too. So, but look, there's no doubt having a deep pulpen is important. Uh, there's no worse feeling than Snit and I might be talking before the, the game and Cranny's there and Drew French is there. And it's like, who's, who's down tonight, you know, and you know, you <laughs> want to win that game, but you also know that we got six months to play. If we pitch someone, it's four out of five. If we pitch them that, that day, they might be down for two or three. Is it really worth doing that? Mm-hmm. How good is the performance going to be four out of five and you lose them. So are you prepared to just have him down and then he's live the next day and all those things. And then invariably guys will come in. I want to pitch. I want to go. You know, yeah. I, always tell, I tell guys all the time, sometimes it'll be like, you know, I'm like, hey, I can't trade for five relievers at the trade deadline. I did right. I threw three and it was awful, you know, in 2019. So it's like, I know you want to pitch, but if you break, you're down <laughs> two weeks, no throw, flat ground, long toss, another two weeks. Then you have to start getting ready, get off a mound. It's like <sighs> six weeks at least. So <coughs> if you're deep, you're in a position where you can keep guys down, you can protect them. And if you're down a run or two, you can keep the game close and, and come back. So you know, the biggest issue you have is when you only have like three, four guys that you trust or your manager trusts, and those guys get crushed. You know, they're, they're up all the time, mm-hmm. used all the time. And you don't blame them because you understand he's in the, he's got to answer to the media and the fans. So our job is to give Snit as much depth. So he has the ability to give guys rest and keep, keep us in games and, and obviously have a good vibe as well. Do you like this pin? Do you like where you are uh, and the team overall going in? Are there still some needs you think uh, that you can fix in spring training? Are you Will you wait and see how things go for a while, spring training, before you? Yeah, I mean, look, you always want more, right? Our job is to worry. So I like the bullpen. I like the depth we have now. Because, um, you know, look, whatever we think we have going into spring, we're not coming out with it, right? You guys are going to get hurt. You don't know who, but you hope mm-hmm. it isn't someone significant. Um, like Luke last year. Yeah, you're right. You just, but something's going to happen every year, right? Someone's mm-hmm. going to be down. We don't know. And it could be position player, reliever, starter. So you're constantly worried about depth and who the next guy is. So, yeah, if everyone's healthy, you can look at the roster and feel pretty good about it. But yeah, I think we obsess about the next line. Like, we know we're going to need, let's say, 11 start. 11 guys will make starts probably on average, right? So it's like, who are those 11 guys going to be? I know who the first four are going to be, but like, Beyond that, who, who's it going to be um, in the bullpen the same way? A lot of guys are going to be out of options right now. How challenging is that going to be? We carry one long guy, two yeah. long guys. You go with one long guy, he goes two, three innings. He's down two or three days. The next day, starter goes an inning and a third. He gets hit in the ankle. You're going to crush your bullpen that day. Then You can't option guys. Like Those are all the mm-hmm. things you have to worry about, right? So over the course of six months, playoffs, totally different. Um but look, we're going to need guys to bounce back. We have guys under contract that had down years. I mean, stating the obvious and have talent and ability, but we can't fill everything, right? So we're going to have to take some shots, go for some upside. Um, but you know, I think we have a good team. 
but you know, beyond that, who's going to stay healthy? What kind of seasons? You know, I expect us to you know be competitive, and as the year goes on, we're going to have to adjust like we always do. I think three of the top eight, you guys are eighth now on payroll right now, like around right right under two hundred million, including that ten million yeah. for Odorizzi that you guys count for last year, but it counts. Yeah, for that year. I mean, yeah, I think you know, so that so Odorizzi when we made the trade, our expectation was with the trade, his salary was much lower than Will Smith's in base salary he had a big buyout on an option of six and a quarter so we had baked it all in that we planned on paying that buyout at six and a quarter no matter what we made the trade mm -hmm. and will smith had a buyout as well so even then there was less dollars um and then so that was going on the 2022 payroll so in the trade for allard um the six and a quarter was already going to be in there he exercised the option so it was a net three seven five for us mm -hmm. so the transaction was a three seven five transaction and that was a 2022 transaction for us. It doesn't impact 2023. CBT-wise, um, it is impacted. But again, we're more focused on the cash part of it. Like you said, we're under 200. Mm -hmm. Our CBT number is a lot higher. Um, but again, you're looking at 20% on the amount you're over. So I think right now we're a hair over. So mm -hmm. we're about a million five. But we're still within the number we have from a payroll standpoint right now and that's what we spend our time on. i know people obsess about it cbt and so on um other than just paying that 20 percent tax there's no impact on us i look at it as from a cash standpoint so we might end up below we might end up above we might trade guys we yeah. might have a deal cash comes back like between now and the end of the season i have no idea where we're going to end up i do know what i have to spend in terms of cash and that's where we spend our time You'll still have some stash to the side to do like you always like to yeah, have. Yeah, we always do it when we're during a season. If you yeah, need to make moves. I have yet to have a trade. You know, we've been really fortunate. We've been in at every trade deadline. So some trade deadlines we've added a ton of payroll. Yeah. I mean, the year we added Gosman and O'Day, that was a lot of salary we added. Um, you know, and then some of the year we added Melanson, that was a huge salary as well. Shane Green wasn't getting as much. Chris Martin wasn't getting as much. Um, you know, the 2021 we added a ton of salary. Right, guys had big buyouts. Jock had a big buyout. Duval had a big buyout. We added a ton of salary. So, you know, we've been able to use our financial resources um, to add payroll during the summer. And that's always been a wait and see approach. And, you know, sometimes it happens fast. So I've said this I go to Terry McGurk, and there's times I have like five minutes. I'm like, Terry, here's what I got. It's flying, you know? And I just obviously needed him to sign off. And he's quick. He doesn't say, yeah. give me a minute. Let me make a phone call. He's making decisions right on the spot. He didn't have to call Denver and get approved. No, I, I think, you know, again, no disrespect to obviously they're our owners, but Terry's the control person and he makes the decisions when it comes to payroll decisions, salaries, contract extensions. When, it's hundred percent Terry. I mean, that's got, how it works. When so, some people, when some people look at the, at the fact like last summer, Eric and I talked about it on, on the podcast a lot. And I really didn't think that you would, be willing to replace Dansby Swanson at short with a 21 year old guy. That's really a rookie. I mean, I would have told year. you the same, right? Last what summer. changed in the, it, was it, was it purely finance or did, were you so impressed with what he did and what wash told you he could do that you felt better about going to the next season with him at short? If that's how, what it comes to be, are you fully prepared to do that? If he looks good this spring? Yeah. So taking Vaughn and again, Vaughn's going to compete with Orlando Arcia, right? So, um, maybe I'll just address the Orlando Arcia part. Arcia, when we got him, had been an everyday shortstop, got shifted over to third. Mm -hmm. Brewers were playing Louis Sirius at the time before they got Adamas. And uh, Arcia had been a starting shortstop, obviously great arm strength, 
great hands. You know, the bat had been hit and miss. Um, but even that, you know, the 2020 COVID season, he swung the bat well. Small sample, but we like what we saw. We thought there was some things with some swing changes that we could imp implement. So when we got him um, in 21, we'd actually tried to get him at the trade deadline of 2020. We couldn't get a deal done. And then we stayed with it, talked to them in spring training of 21. He got off to a slow start beginning of 21. Urias took over shortstop. He's playing third. We made a trade. But we wanted him to go work on – we had Sandoval at the time. We optioned him and wanted him to work on a swing change and uh, just some things with his lower half. And um, he did it. He played great down in Gwinnett. And you now he swung the bat okay, but we knew there was more in there. He's still a young man, good defender. And we signed him to a two-year deal with an option that offseason just before we were, we were locked out. And if you look at – he didn't have a great 21, but we still really believed in him. We thought there was a lot more there. Mm -hmm. So – what he did with the bat last year, we're not su surprised by. Um, we think he's capable of giving you a low 700 OPS with really good de defense with his hands mm -hmm. and, and his arm. Um, so we think he can be an everyday shortstop. He just didn't have that opportunity here. And with the Brewers, with the trades they made, he didn't have that opportunity anymore. But he had proven to be a starting shortstop. He's still in his 20s. Still a, a young guy. Um, Vaughn, when we called him up, we were going with the most upside. You know, there was a debate of, who we call him, we call him up or somebody from Gwinnett. We felt he gave us the best chance to win. He had been a work in progress from a defensive standpoint. Young, high energy, the makeups off the charts, his aptitudes off, off the charts. Um, big guy. So it's easy with your eyes to say, I don't know if this guy could stick at shortstop. Hadn't played a whole lot of second base. He played a little bit, but primarily on the left side of the infield. Mm -hmm. So it was a crash course. He was coming in really early on the first bus every day on the road and here at the ballpark in Atlanta, getting early work with Wash, but he was still getting up to speed playing the position. Um, and look, we saw some flashes. Things look good. Other times where he was a little rough, mm -hmm. but the one thing with him is he's gotten better every single year. And we didn't get to see him at the big league level on the left side of the infield. Now in the off season, we have a meeting with the staff going through the off season approach plans and so on. want to get everyone's take and opinion. We talked about Vaughn as, as a group. And, you know, Wash felt like, look, we clearly wanted Dansby back. That was the priority. But you just don't know when guys get to free agency where the dollars are going to go. And you have to talk through, if we can't get there financially, where are we going next? Do we have to trade for a guy? Do we have anybody internally? And the more it was discussed as, as a group, as much as Dansby was clearly the guy we wanted back, if it wasn't going to ha happen, could Vaughn or Orlando handle that job, you know? Could it be something where you just you're hitting the, them ninth? You know you're not going to get a six win season, highly unlikely, like what you just got. Mm -hmm. But and they hold the fort down, and do they have upside? And we knew what Orlando RC could do. We felt pretty good about what the bat is. We know what the de defense is, and so on. And we we like them. Um, and then the question was, can Vaughn handle shortstop defensively? Mm -hmm. Remember asking Wash many times, like I don't know what he's going to do with the bat if he wins that starting job. Are we going to come to a point in the season where we feel like, hey, we have to make a change defensively and so on? And he felt like with work, with proper reps and so on, and he said, if I can get him for a week to 10 days at a time in the offseason, three times, I will have him ready come spring training to compete for that job. And we don't, I mean, to say we don't care about the bat is probably a little strong. Same way behind the plate, right? The mm -hmm. first priority is the defense, especially at that position. You've got to catch the baseball and make the plays. So, I know Orlando RC can make the plays, so does Snit, so does the staff. Vaughn Wash really believes can do it. He's young. 
and he's got tremendous upside with his bat, his bat, the ball skills and everything else. Yeah. So Wash became pretty emboldened. Look, he loved Dansby. That would have been his first choice as well, like all of ours. But Wash was adamant that this guy can do it. You know, he's not saying he's going to win a gold glove. He said it will be a process. It will take time. Look, I can make a decision as a scout. My test saying, you know, he's six three, he's big and so on. But I remember watching JJ Hardy early on. He doesn't have the actions, and that mm-hmm. guy was a gold glover. So I remember Marcus Simeon with the White Sox. I didn't think he'd ever play short shortstop, and Wash made him into a gold glover. You know, mm-hmm. so um, if it wasn't Wash, I can't tell you I'd feel the same way. But he feels so strongly about his aptitude, his instincts. The one thing I've learned from him is that you sit there. I was, you know, I started as a scout. I'm always looking at the tools all the time. And he talks a lot about the intellect, the instincts, the aptitude, the attention to detail at that position, how critically important it is. And Vaughn has that in spades. And that's a big part of the position, right? Anticipation. Obviously, we're going to work on first step and everything else. But um, he really thinks Vaughn has those intangibles and those tools to be an everyday big league shortstop. What the bat's going to be, I think eventually he's going to be a very good hitter. When, I don't know. That could be two years from now, three years from now. But we definitely believe in the bat. And if Wash believes that he can be that guy, it may not be in 23. You know, He may get option. He knows that. Uh-huh. He may, for whatever reason, need to go back. But uh, he'll have every op- every opportunity to do it. Um, and Orlando will, too. And we'll, we'll go with the best player. And the reports out of the uh, Wash, Von Grissom tutorials in New Orleans yeah. have been good? I talk to him each time. So he's got one more left in January. Um, every time I talk to Wash, um, I wasn't leading the witness or anything either. I'm like, Wash, uh-huh. things change. You got to tell me, you know? And he's like, <laughs> he's adamant. This guy's right. a piece. This guy can do it, you know? Right. And I think he's more impressed. I think the time he's – look, he was – we're in the middle of the season. He's working with everybody. He's trying to get him a place, second base and so on. Um, and I even asked Wash. I said, look, I said, I don't want to put any, like, expectations on you, pressure. Like, no one's batting a 1,000, right? So – Every everyone's job is to believe in their players and work with them and so on. And um, you know, even when I made my comments to the media about Wash and this and that, I asked them. I said, "Are you okay if I share this? Because I don't want to put mm-hmm. more expectations on you." He said, "Bring it." Mm-hmm. Like, he's like I have zero problem. Name, you know, can you believe Wash is seventy years old? Yeah, I said I'm happy to just keep my mouth shut and you know leave it. But like, I try to be as transparent as I can be. Right? Like, you want people to understand why we're making decisions. Right. Why we think Von Grissom's got a shot to do it. Yeah. Um, and, and um, yeah. you know, Wash really believes in him. And look, I'm not – I can have an opinion like everyone can, but that's the guy that should know better than anybody else. Guys, let's take a quick break, and then we'll finish up the show. We had a good question from a reader about uh, – from a, a subscriber about last year. What did you hear or see – in Michael Harris, you've talked about this a little bit, to really make that decision that he's ready to come up, even though he uh, he obviously was very young and with very little experience above A-ball. Yeah, so we talked about it for a while. Um, I think before we called him up, he was. I went to see him in Chattanooga. Didn't have a great series. Um, I drove to Biloxi around Easter to see him there. Um, and he was he played pretty well. I just want to see him as often as I could. We knew defensively what he would do. The question was, how was the back going to play? And yeah. were we doing him a disservice? And I'll give Snit a lot of credit. He's in the manager's chair. He was, But he was thinking about it through his career. I mean, in terms of Harris's career, his development, are we being fair to him, mm-hmm. right? 
And um, we kept having long conversations about it. We kept talking to the staff. Uh, we just wanted to make sure, look, you can always send a guy back, but you you want to call a guy up with the thought he's got a chance to stay. You know, and I, I've said this too. Dana was in my ear a bunch. You know, he's you know, he said, sending me text of a LeBron James gif and LeBron's sitting there. He's got his watch like this and he's going like <laughs> this. <yeah? laughs> and uh, he kept sending it to me every day, you know. Yeah. And, um, you know, finally you get to the point. I'm a big believer in, in the following as well. If things aren't going well and the team's not playing well, there's a certain part, the defense, this, that, even if it's not always going to work, I think, you know, and I don't know Eric could speak to this, but, like, I think it's important as a front office to show the players that you're trying. You know, oh, yeah. Not just like, all right, we're just going to keep going. Like, yeah, they know right. that if we make a change, we and look, during the season, very difficult before the trade deadline to make trades. So all you can yeah. do is just like call someone else up and there has to be a reason behind it. But hey, we're trying. Like they're trying, they're doing everything they can. But like, what are we doing as a front office? Are we claiming guys? Are we trading for someone? Are we calling a guy up? Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like we need to show that we're right there with you guys. Like we're we may be limited right now at the time of year, but like I'm doing everything I can to what's available to me right now. Now that's not a reason to call up a prospect. And we took a few weeks to decide on Harris. Like we, mm -hmm. it was weeks that we were going back and forth on it and we were just trying to give him more time and so on. Um, and even we knew there was going to be a swing change needed, lowering his hands. We brought that up to sites. Uh, but when was the right time to do it? He just got called up doing it the way he was. So it was up to sites when he was going to have that conversation with him. And he, you know, then it's a feel thing, right? Sites had a, you know, he's in the cage with him in Arizona and like it was time, Yeah, you know, but, Snit can't tell him. I can't tell him. You got to feel. Um, and then to Harris's credit, he's willing to try it. And then the bat exploded. You know, we didn't expect that at all. So, but we did expect him to play defense, hit ninth. And right now, the expectations for short, shortstop are we don't need these guys to come in and carry the offense. You know, I want you to play defense. We need you to be playable at short. We're not expecting Gold Glove D, 25 homers. We're not expecting. Dansby Swanson, six-win season. That isn't fair. Same way when Riley took over at third and 20. I'm not expecting Josh Donaldson, 38 homers and a 900 OPS and gold glove defense. We need you to play, be playable at short, be competitive with, with the bat. That can be good enough and should be good enough if everyone else is doing what they can, still be a competitive club. And they both have upside to be a lot more than that. Yeah. Tap into that upside, great. How how we're, we're we're sitting with Max Fried, I think, is entering his his free agent year now. Um, are we in? A, he, he's kind of unusual in that he's a late bloomer because of the uh, TJ surgery and all that. Missed a couple of years for what he's done to the organization. He's kind of I don't want to put him in the same boat as Freddie and Dansby and say, oh, here we go again. But is there? Would you like to see Max back? Is it tougher with a starting pitcher? You know, that's a, closer to thirty than he is to twenty five. Um, is there still hope for fans that, uh, that, that Max will be here long-term? Yeah. And I, I understand, you know, especially in light of we've signed all these other guys, extensions and so right. on. And he's, but he's still two years away. Right. So, um, you guys know, yeah, he's got two I'm years, never right? any specifics on yeah. con contract extension on players, but I want to give you something on this, right. I'm not just going to give you the hand check. Um, but <laughs> I, no, I would say this to you. I think having a deep rotation is really important. And, when we're making the decisions that we're making and we are making decisions on what we believe we can pay guys or how far we're willing to go on extensions, it's because mm -hmm. we know we have other decisions to make, right? So 
whether that's at shortstop or first base and so on. We know we've got other decisions down the road. We knew at some point Riley we want to extend, right? We know at some point, um, you know, we knew a guy like Harris. If he's good, you're going to want to keep him too. You've got Acuna Albies and so on. Um, obviously, Sean Murphy's been signed too. So if you look at our organization, our roster going forward, which is the obvious here, yeah. um, the only two starters that ended the season with the Braves that are under control past 2024 are Kyle Wright and Strider. You know, now right. Ian Anderson comes back. Hopefully Soroka makes the team and he's got two years of control left and he doesn't see Gwinnett again, right? Like we want all these guys yeah. tapping to their upside. Hopefully some of these young prospects emerge and they become, but as of now, Ian was on option. Soroka was on option, right? They weren't with the team. So just based on at the end of 22, yeah, two out of five, that isn't going to cut it, right? So um, rotation, you know, to me, I've said this, um, and this is a long way of saying we want him <laughs> clearly, but yeah. I said that about every player, right? Um, but our two best seasons during the regular season were 2019, 2022, and that coincided with the deepest rotations that we've had. Yeah, you know, and we talk about replacing seasons. Julio Tehran had a three and a half ERA. Mike Fultonavich had a two ERA from the time he came back from Gwinnett till the end of the season. Freed was great. Soroka was in the Cy Young conversation. Dallas Keuchel had a tremendous run second half of the year for us. We were five deep. We had a chance to win every night. And I think that's what happened in 2022. Even with Ian having a five ERA, mm -hmm. we were a very competitive club. And even, even with, with Jake Odorizzi, he, you know, he gave us a chance to win a lot of the time, right? You weren't having starts going an inning and inning in two thirds like we did at the start of the year with some of the kids, which is just part of being young. So um, the rotation is very much front of mind for me long term. It's very much like 2025. What's the rotation going to be? Mm -hmm. It's very much in my um, my thought my thought process. Max is a stud, second in Cy Young, great in the clubhouse. Yeah, and he's the type I've told him this too. Um, I think he's going to age well. And the reason yeah. I say that is because he keeps getting better in terms of like he came up as the curveball heater, super athlete. He still is. Developed a slider on his own. Developed a two seamer on his own. Developed a changeup on his own. Like that's him coming into camp, and he's got such good feel for the baseball, you know that he doesn't look. He's going to pop 95, 96, 97, and it's great. But the fact that he can just incorporate those things and they're good. His changeup became really good. His two seamer was awesome. Like he didn't have those. Yeah. And his slider was non-existent when I got here, you know. And that slider's plus. Yeah. So the fastball velo as you age, like yeah, you everybody wants to throw mid nineties, high nineties all times, but like. When you have the other stuff and then you field your position, mm -hmm. your competitor, your great athlete, and your strike thrower, like that bodes really, really well. So he's in a position that he's one of the top starters in the game. That's yeah. absolutely obvious. Um, yeah, he's got two okay. years. I said one. He's got two. You're yeah, right. He's got two. So, like, you know this. <laughs> yeah. So, like, I, I don't like, I get these conversations and they come up when a guy's going into the last year, like, hey, this is your free agent year. Like, so when you're two years out, I don't see it as much of a, and the other thing, too, is I think with some of these things. Yeah, but people, people will say Freddie and Dansby were the same way. <laughs> yeah, but you know <laughs> what? Though? No, one asked me about, no one asked me about Dansby when he had two years left, right? <laughs> when he wasn't quite the same player. Last year of his deal. <laughs> I think Freddie, same way. I think it was going into the last year of his deal. Yeah. Um, but they're all very different in the sense of um, with Max, with some of these other young guys, like to compare him, Strider even, he's a pitcher, like he's going to be signed potentially through the age of 30 if we exercise the option. Right. So there's a second big deal there. Yeah. 
Riley, this was his big deal. Olsen, this was his big deal. Dansby, this was his big deal. Max will be, you know, 30s last year. We have him under control. This will be his, his big deal. So they're not the same. Harris will get a second deal. Acuna will get a second deal. Albies will get a second deal. Mm-hmm. So they're not the same to just say, well, they extended the, these guys. They're not the same. This is their one big deal. So the Riley conversation in arbitration, we talked about a short deal when he was going to arbitration. It was mm-hmm. clear probably weren't going to be able to line up on that. It was fine. We went to a hearing. And then that next conversation was, hey, let's talk about the big deal. This is his one big deal. The first one would have been short where he gets a second bite at the apple. And, um, you know, we obviously didn't end up doing that. But so I think with these guys, when it's their one big deal, there's just a lot more involved. Yeah. Right. And, you know, the closer guys get to free agency, it's more challenging. And there's more, you know, at that point, you're talking free agent dollars, right? They've right. established themselves. He's top end. Um, so. My hope with all this stuff, anytime we do a deal, you guys don't know anything about it. You know, you just see the release. And I think, I could be wrong, I think almost every extension we've done, yeah, I don't think there's been talk about it ahead of time. Maybe there's an expectation, but I don't think there's been talk about it ahead of time. So I just figure it's a year early to get the questions on Max, but I get it in light of the other guys that we have. Um, I know you're giving us tons of time here, so we'll wrap it up. But I, I, I just wanted to ask you, because and you alluded to some of this, how it's different for these guys who are buying out a lot of. Because you're assuming some of the risk too with those guys, and I don't think people take that into account when they say how underpaid some of these guys are going to be with you guys. But do you get, um, like the NFL has a uh, a salary cap guy, capologist? Right. Do you at times do you do you feel like you're doing that because you have to you have to balance all this stuff long-term more. You're doing it more so than almost any GM. It seems like looking at the big picture and do you have to think about, okay, all these guys like right now, I don't know if it's a number you guys have set 22 million, but that's the number so far that nobody's going to, somebody, somebody is going to have to go above that obviously. Right. It's not a hard and fast number, but do you have to think about that? Okay. We're giving Acuna. He's going to make 17 million. I can't give this guy. Do you have to think about all these things? I mean, not to oversimplify, but it seems like you'd have to. I mean, somewhat, but again, it's different because those guys will get second deals, right? Mm -hmm. And look, like some of these guys are eligible for arbitration and they wouldn't be getting free agent salaries in some of these arbitration years, right? So in some instances, we're front-loading. Harris would have made $720,000 or $740,000 in our scale. He's going to make $5 million. So we've chosen to front-load to try to stay competitive long-term. Now, there's an opportunity cost to that that, hey – it's an extra $4.28 million in theory I have available, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, sorry, four point. Yeah. So, I mean, but I'm trying to make sure that we manage to be competitive year in and year out. So look, is there science to $22 million? No. Uh, look, we paid Josh Donaldson 23 for one. Freddie was the highest paid guy on the team at the time at 22, mm-hmm. but Freddie was on a long-term deal, an eight-year contract, 138 million bucks, right? Bryce Harper's got a long deal at $25 million AV, but it's $330 million. So mm-hmm. I don't think the deal was about the AV. It was about the guarantee. Right. So a lot of times I'd say almost every time, any negotiation, you're negotiating what the guarantee is. And the player and the agent will tell you, cut it up however you want. Like my guarantee is X, yeah. 70, 80, 100, 120, 150. That's the guarantee. Cut it up however you <laughs> want. You want to go high, low, medium. Yeah. Um, so we're, we've done it now where we've internally capped it at 22 
um, just because we feel like it still allows us to build a roster, right? So look, it's like using a credit card. We can go backfill, give a guy 40, mm-hmm. give a guy low dollars. And like in the short term, it'll be great, but the credit card bills come and do mm-hmm. at some point we're going to have to deal with it. So, and my attitude is I have to do this job. Like I'm going to be here 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, no matter whether I got a year left on my contract or two or three, I'm taking this position of I'm here forever and I have to do what's right for, by the ball club. And I'll never take the attitude of, oh, that's Riley. We're giving him a 10-year deal. We just put that money in years six to 10. I'm not going to be here. We just go real low at the beginning. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, and I'm not doing that. So, um, you know, yeah. but we front-loaded a lot at an expense of short-term. There's definitely an impact there, but um, I'm pretty determined if we can to try to sustain this thing and be competitive year in and year out. And it's hard to do. That, that would seem to indicate that you like being here, that you plan to stay in a while. Yeah, look, it's not my call, right? So um, <laughs> I love being here. It's great. I'm, um, I've said this before, too. I think these jobs are about who you work with and for. Like, sure, city's great, ballpark, roster. But if you don't like who you work with and for, all that other stuff, you can put it in the trash. I, I'm, and I truly mean that. If you give me the greatest city, greatest ballpark, greatest team, but you don't like who you're going to work with and who you're reporting to – yeah. No interest. You know, it's not worth it. Right. So um, I'm very, you know, I'm in a very good place here because Terry's been awesome. Um, gives me the autonomy to do my job. Obviously, I have to be held accountable and I am held accountable for what we do. Um, and I view him as a partner and he's been supportive and we've had success. So that's not that's not lost on me at all that the dynamic here is good. And now you start layering in great place for your family, ballpark roster, all that kind of stuff. Uh, what? It, how excited are you about what Ronald Acuna can do next year? I think a lot of people fail to uh, remember that you missed Ozzy for almost the entire season, basically two freak injuries. Uh, but then Ronald Acuna wasn't himself for a lot of the time last year. Are you excited about what he could do in a year removed, a year and a half removed from that surgery, and what and what he's done this winter? How excited he is to be playing? Obviously, yeah. I think like there was one game where he had two home runs at home. I was like that he's back. Like it was, you know, you forget how electric he is and how dominant he is. And, mm-hmm. like, you know, even in 21, the first month we weren't hitting, he has carried us the first yeah. month of 21. And obviously his numbers, when he got hurt, he was going to win the MVP. I mean, I don't see how he wouldn't have, but he was unbelievable. And look, last year he wasn't the same player. He was very timid in the outfield and he explained that he was concerned, right? He got hurt uh, playing the outfield, running, jumping. You see, you know, we would show him his sprint speeds, on the bases were the same as they'd always been. But in the outfield, it wasn't the same. You know, he just was a little timid, jumping. I remember, I don't know where we were, but he finally jumped to get a ball. And I went down. I'm like, you finally jumped. Like, yeah. you're having confidence again. You know, he played a little, we played him a little more deep because of going back um, and so on and coming on the ball. Just, I think just knowing, you know, he loves playing baseball. Clearly it shows. And he lost it for a year, you know, and it was tough. And look, he he went through a lot during the season, fluid, this, that. I mean, he was banged up. The doctors, we kept checking with him. He was fine to keep playing. But there was a lot of times we needed to give him time off. So I think now fully removed, um, he's still so young. We know what he can be. This is a dynamic MVP caliber player that's a gold glove candidate. And we didn't get either guy because of the injury last year. Um, And to think about the upside that we're going to get, he had mid to high 700 OPS. Definitely not the best defense he's, he's, he's played. You're now going to get, in my mind, 
much better defense, much better offense. Um, that's a huge, that's a huge uh, bump to the team. Look, obviously, take Albies, all star in twenty one. He was great. Um, it was off to a slow start, uh, but you know, being fair about it. Look, Ozzy when he's healthy and right is awesome. Mm-hmm. But if you're being objective about it. We got great production out of that position last year, right? So mm-hmm. when you factor in what Vaughn did, what Orlando Arcia did, you put it together like. Those guys played well. We had good good seasons. So, like, I always say you're not replacing the player. You're pre- replacing the season. So, if Ozzy gives us a mid-700 to high-700 OPS with Gold Glove defense, like, that's going to be great. But we had pretty close to that this past year. So, right field is big upside. Um, I think the rotations got big upside just with the five-hole. Um, and I think the bullpen, um, it was hit and miss for a little bit, too. I think we're going to – we've got some upside there as well. So, I do think we have areas to, to get better, but we won 101 games first time in 20 years. There's a reason it hap- It takes 20 years for that to happen. We've been yeah. for that. You know, are you expecting to win 100 games again? That doesn't mean you're not a good team or you're not as good. I don't think you can expect to win 100 games again. Just Ever. It happens every 20 years. But I think we got a good a team, and like it's about being a team that you think is capable of getting to the postseason and win the World Series, and I think we have that as we, we sit here today. Are you cautiously optimistic and hopeful for your fellow Canadian, Mike Soroka? Because I know he's got it, rightfully so, as many fans as anybody, pulling hard for this kid, for the hell that he's been through the last two or three years. Uh, yeah. He seems really upbeat still. Yeah, and you know, look, the one thing is it wasn't his arm, right? Right. Um, so, you know, he's had some stuff in the past, but knowing him, the work ethic, the person, how intelligent as a – I mean, this guy's going to get everything out of his career, and he's so he's got how young he is, mm-hmm. and he's so talented. So, like, he'll eventually get it. He'll put it. He's going to be good again. Like, there's so many examples of guys that have hit bumps in the road early in their career, but like, there's too much ability there. There's too much talent, the aptitude, the work ethic. Like, he's going to come out on the other end, um, regardless. I don't know when. That might be right out of camp. That might be middle of the summer. But like, Mike Soroka is going to be a stud again. Um, I don't know when, but no. You, Knowing him, um, that guy, I've been around enough players, like that guy, you bet on that guy. You know, because yeah. yep. he will will him, he will will him himself. Nice cat. Um, <laughs> to, uh, to be great. And he's got the ability to be. Yeah. And so and nobody has come through the two uh, Achilles surgeries, no pitcher. But really, I don't know how many have even tried. So you guys, and, and medical yeah, advances in exactly. technology. How many guys have had to? Right. Like, how many guys that young? that good like the sample size got to be right. like one Nothing. or two yeah. I don't even know yeah he's probably the only one so burger the guy from the white Sox, had a good year last year and he's like right. a heavy set uh position player who was running great last year so i mean he takes a lot of comfort out of that but yeah i, I just love the fact that right now Ian anderson that was a lock for our rotation in the past number two start in the first right. season in 20 he's competing now for the fifth spot right and soroka's a scion conversation competing for the fifth spot they both have options um that's a good place to be from a rotation depth st- st- standpoint. So um, I think that's the one, you know, again, you're, I'm learning all the time on this, this job and like you always value rotation depth, but I think more so than anything else, I go into every season now is if you can be a five guys, you feel good about with a good pen, not to mm-hmm. say offense isn't important. Of course it is, but five guys with a deep bullpen, you should be competitive no matter what. Eric might be available as a fourth lefty if you have to. Really have to. No. <laughs> the magic is gone, Dave. 
getting that third lefty was important. Did you? Is that something you really no, wanted to I, do? It wasn't that he was a. Le- like we talked about it. Um, you know, with our coaches, like if we're adding a reliever, righty lefty. Um, having a third lefty, I think, is important. Again, it wasn't. We weren't going to force a move. Now he got DFA'd, and it was like oh, this guy's a great guy. I called Darren O'Day right. on him. You know, find out what kind of guy he was. He stamped him. Yeah. I told. I took. I told him. I told Lucas this too when I talked to him. I said, if Darren O'Day would have like said no you don't want him i wouldn't have pursued him i don't care what era he had you know but darren was like yeah good guy you want him um but i do think it's important because i don't view aj minter as a left-handed reliever i view him as a reliever right so and you know there's an old saying if you have one lefty in the pen it's like you have none because you're gonna gonna kill him so (laughs) um, you want to because look there's moments in the fifth or the sixth that you might want to bring in a left-hander right and what if Dylan Lee was used two out two days in a row? You don't want to go three in a row. He's down. You're saving AJ Minder in for late in the game. Yeah, it's nice having three. Um, yeah, look, you like having all those things, but yeah, I don't like. I think there's certain guys in roles they're late inning. Right, left is irrelevant. Like the same way that if you're saying uh, you know if Iglesias is going to be the closer, he's not a righty. He's a closer. You know, it doesn't right. like so. It's like right. the closers in my mind it's off to the side. And they're being used, whatever. And then the remaining guys, how many righties, how many lefties, how is that, that going to work? So, you know, so that'll be up to Snit to make the determinations on, on that stuff. But you know, when we had Will Smith close in, like, people would include him as part of the left-handed group. Right. Like, no, he wasn't. Like, he's the closer. So he's not being used in the sixth, seventh, yeah. eighth, you know. So that's how I view it. And Iglesias is your closer. I mean, you got – No, you I mean, look, I think it's easy to default to him because he's done it, experience, um, all those kind, kind of things. But – you know, Snit will make that call. You know, we haven't told – we traded for him. He was here and he said, I'll pitch anything, seventh, eighth, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, Snit will make that determination. It wouldn't surprise me if ultimately it ends up there. But, look, there's days that, like, they're not available, right? Like, you use your closer right. three in a row. Yeah. Three out of four. Um, and they're down. And other guys are going to have to take save chances. Like, so regardless who – if you have a closer, um, you're going to need more than one. Right. And there's just like, so you're going to need more than one guy to be able to do it. So, you know, th- that could be any of the guys on varying. The- and look, you know, if guys end up getting hurt, you're going to need guys, you know, you need some other guys like just what happened. We had obviously Jansen missed a little time last year on the IL. So, um, but I think it's easy to point to him because of his experience and what he's done. But look, Snit will make that call when the time comes. Is Darren going to be around team at all this year, or is he signed somewhere? Is he- right now, no. I mean, we've talked to him about, you know, he's got an open invitation to do stuff with us. He lives here, obviously. Um, but, you know, that'll be up to him. I think just, you know, whenever the time's right for him, if he wants to do something, he knows that, you know, he always can have that that conversation with us. Cool. Hey, great, man. You've given us an hour. Really appreciate it. Eric, you got anything left for Alex? No, that was great. That was good stuff. All right. Really appreciate it, Alex. Uh, See you guys in five years, I hope. If I'm still here, <laughs> you're a kind of you're, your moves really. I, I hold, I put them in contrast to Dave Dombrowski, who I covered when he was with the Marlins, and he was the Wonder Boy GM back then. He was like forty two, twenty five. He was like forty, right. but back then that was really young for GMs. Right, right, right. He was the yeah. youngest guy, I think. But I got the job at thirty two, and it was just because guys like Theo Epstein, yeah. know, got it at twenty eight, right. and John Daniels got it at twenty. And it was like, it wasn't as crazy. So I got right. it in 2010. So it wasn't as crazy at that time to give it to a 32 year old because yeah. a bunch of guys came before me, but you're right. Like 
it would Dave have been was the youngest at the time. Yeah, but now I see what he's doing with Philly, and he's in it. <laughs> oh, he's awesome. He's great to deal with too. Like, yeah, I don't he deal is. with him anymore because he's in the division. But um, and I would have loved to have, you know, GM'd against John Sherrill. It's not against, but you know, we're not in the same division. But like, just dealing with the Hall of Famers, right? Just to see what they would have been like, or like yeah, Pat Gillick. You know, so Dave Dombrowski is like he's great to deal with. He's direct. Yeah, he's honest. He's direct. Um, he's ready to make a deal. He's ready to go. Um, he's trying to win another ring before he's done. Yeah, no, and I, I've, I've told him this. You know, when I was in Toronto, um, we had Jose, Jose Batista out of nowhere hits fifty four home runs. He's a five plus salary arbitration, so he's a year away from free agency. We didn't know what we had on our hands. Is this real? Is it not real? Are we going to sign him? Are we not going to sign him? And um, we had to explore our options. And uh, and I've told Dave this, and I'm, you know, he deserves it because he's he's really good. Um, you know, I didn't know if we, we could sign him or not. We had Vernon Wells on a huge deal, and uh, Batista just had a huge year. And we were we had just done year one of a rebuild, right? So Jose Batista as a, an impact superstar wasn't in the plans, right? Right. But by the end of 2010, it's like, man, what if this guy's real? So we wanted to sign him. Um, we got the sense we weren't going to be able to sign him. So we wanted to make sure we had our, you know, know what our options were. So we explored trades, you know, and we never got close to trading him. But at the winter meetings, we called around that a year left and um, we tried to get a sense. And you know what? The only team that was aggressive was Detroit. It was, it was Dave. And everyone else was just kind of like, I'm not buying it, you yeah. know. And Dave, man, he was like, boom, ready to go. Like, yeah. I told him, hey, we might talk about him. We're not sure yet. Um, but if you're interested in like. He got back to me quick. He was ready to go. Uh, he was convicted on the player. And that's yeah. like great GM, great staff. And I think the other teams were just a little – like we were. We just weren't sure, you know. But I'm not surprised, right? You've covered him. Yeah. There's a reason he's won World Series. He's had success. He's aggressive. He's, good. he's decisive. He's got great instincts. Hall of Famer. Yeah. And, that I, you know, three, when, I was, when I was a young Montreal Expos fan, he was GM in Miami or Florida. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I remember going to the Expos game with my buddy and like I was more in awe of like the GMs and he'd sit behind the plate in the scout seats. And uh, I remember sitting with my buddy and I saw him like, whoa, that's Dave Dombrowski. And uh, <laughs> I was like, I want to go over and say hi, you know, and I was shy about it. But I went game was over and I went over and like, okay, I got to I got to come up with some reason to have a conversation with him. And uh, I remember like Kilvio Varis was on the I.L., so like I asked him, I'm like, hey, like, hey, when is Kilvio Barris coming back or whatever? But he was great to me, you know, and he was very, he didn't blow me off. He wasn't rude. Uh, he gave me time and I was, a, I was a no one at the time. And it's, you know, 20 years later, whatever yeah. it is, he's still doing it at a high level. So I'm not surprised. All right, Alex. Hey, we really appreciate your time, man. I think I know you're busy and uh, we'll see you at Fan Fest next weekend, I guess, or yep. whenever that is. All right, guys. All right. Thanks, yeah. Alex. Appreciate Thanks, it. Alex. All right. See ya. God, that was great. Jesus. Um, I wanted to ask you real quick. What do you think of uh, Andrew and Wags? They're both still going up on the uh, percentage-wise. I think Wagner's going to get in for sure. And I think Andrew could get in next year. Well, I think they both should be. You know, I mean, it's just absolutely, man. I've said to people about Billy, like, if you could build a dream left-handed reliever, yeah, in history, Billy's the guy. Ninety nine with a wipeout slider, left handed. They MLB Network had a thing today or yesterday. They showed his stats, or today it was making a case for him. They showed his stats through like age thirty eight, compared to Hoffman and Mario. 
really comparable. Those guys just stuck around for another, especially Hoffman, and piled up another hundred saves or whatever it was. And Billy could have. Right, he could have. Didn't feel like his it. lowest DRA was the last year with you guys. Yeah, sub one DRA. Year. I don't know if he'd even care if if the Hall of Fame's a huge deal to him or not. You know, because he made his choice to go be with his family, and he was tired. He was just tired of beating his body up and traveling and everything. Yeah. But um, th- to be doing what he was doing at thirty eight, sub one ERA that year. He was throwing ninety eight, ninety nine, striking everybody out having no issues getting yeah. anybody out. And I, I think if you, you know, if you asked any hitter that ever faced him, nobody wants to see him again. There might yeah. be one guy and it's always just some random right. guy, you know, Pedro Feliz or something that right. that happens to rake the guy, but everybody else would tell you that's one of the nastiest at bats you've ever seen. And for me, that's the point of the hall of fame yeah. is remembering the greatest players and, and the highest levels of talent and, the guys that you're going to tell stories about. And it's if Billy Wagner's name came up and any hitter faced him, they're going to have their story about facing him and how much it sucked. Yeah. I love Trevor Hoffman, but he's not even in comparable to Billy as far as what hitters, like you said, did not want to face. It's like Terry Pendle. It's like Terry Pendle used to talk about Lee Smith about that saying the guy ask any hitter of that time who they did not want to face. It was him. Yep. So he was like lobbying for him. He finally got in the Hall of Fame. But some of these guys, yeah, you're just like it comes down to boil it all down. Never mind the analytics and all that. Boil it all down. Who who did as a pitcher did you not want to face as a hitter? Yep. And as a hitter, who did you not want to face as a pitcher? I mean, that's what yeah. the guys. That, that that's are. that's my favorite thing about the game is getting that perspective from guys that played in certain eras. And I think for me, that's what the Hall of Fame should aim to to be is that it's telling the stories of these ridiculously talented players that came along. And I get if a guy doesn't play that long, you know, if it's right, people are talking about Johnny Venters, you can't put him in the hall of fame, but his sinker is something that people are talking about 20 years later. Yeah. You know, they're always going to be talking about the first time they saw a sinker like that. And it was Johnny, a guy like Billy, he played as long as he did. And for his entire career, was just a disgusting, uncomfortable at bat for every hitter he faced. Right. And along those same lines, Andrew Jones, it's like, uh, Jim Bowden made a good uh, case for him today in The Athletic. It's like I've said, people say he fell off after age 30. It's like he debuted at 18. Yeah. You know, if he had debuted at 20 and his run of 10 straight gold gloves and averaging 34 homers a year had started at age 23 and gone to age 33 or age 24, like a lot of guys do, nobody would be saying he fell off at age, you know what I mean? Well, but, and they're still talking about his defense. However many years later, like if you yeah. ever talk to any player that played in that era and saw Andrew right. play in person, it's something you can't respect watching TV. You right. can't appreciate exactly. where he started on the play and all that. It doesn't but show then up. how many home runs did Andrew hit on top of that? Yeah, 430-something. Ken Griffith yeah. was a better overall player. Andrew was a better defensive player than Ken yep. Griffey. Griffey was awesome, but yep. Andrew was a better defensive player than Ken and everybody else. He was better. So then if he only hit 200 home runs, I think he's still a Hall of Famer because he's the that, best the defensive player. Everybody who is the best at what they do belongs in the Hall of Fame. Like Ozzy Smith is the best shortstop. He's in the yep. Hall of Fame. Andrew was the best yeah. center fielder. He belongs in the Hall. And I think a lot of people have come around to that, obviously, and are switching their votes or new new voters are voting for him. And I well, think it was going for to get a decade, in. too. It wasn't for the two or three for a or four decade, years. Not four know, or five for years. He wasn't the Sandy Koufaxes of, of center fielders. It right. was a decade. Yep. 
And then he got beat up. Yeah, he got overweight, but he also was beat up from playing like he did from all those diving catches. His yeah. shoulders were fucked, man. I mean, yeah. this guy played hurt and kept yeah. playing. And look at the games played are off the charts compared to today's today's players. I mean, right. for that 10 years, he averaged like 158 games played. I mean, it's unheard of today. Field. In center As a field. Big boy. Like he, even when he was in shape, he's still a large big human. boy. Making those diving catches coming in on artificial turf in places like Montreal. Yep. So yeah. A lot of intangibles on top of being the best center fielder ever. It, that it's a slam it should be a slam dunk. It should be in. But I think he's gonna get in and he's not gonna have to wait, you know, until tenth year either. He's gonna get in, I think, next year, probably. Yeah, and that's where that committee comes in handy too, because if Oh, he would get in on the first ballot with the first veterans time, committee. A lot of those guys played against him. It would be unanimous play. like Fred McGriff. Yeah. I really think so, or close to it. So, but anyway, it's going to be interesting. It might, they might pitch a shutout, though, as far as, uh, I don't know. I You know, I think Roland should get in, but I don't know if he's going to this year or not. Um, I voted for six. Um Thankfully, Fred's going in, so there will, there will be a ceremony. It'd be kind of the irony of Fred having to wait not ever making it on the writer's ballot, then getting and then the, being the only guy. And if he's the only guy, has the whole stage to himself because he could handle it too. He's a very entertaining, yeah. funny guy. Yeah. He Thank would appreciate time, it. it. It would still be a very entertaining uh, award ceremony. If that. And the good thing is, he played for enough teams that you'd have a lot of fans there because he played for so many teams, which hurt him as far as taking all those years to get, you know, all those years on the ballot, playing yeah. for all these various teams hurt him. But it'll. It's going to get a lot of fans there from Tampa Bay and from Atlanta. You know, he played a lot of places. Yeah, I just, for me, that's, especially with Andrew. I mean, I know Billy, too. I know there's kind of a knock on relievers, and you're seeing it in the last however many years of playoffs, you know, especially since Kansas City did it, how important a bullpen is and that you can't win without it. Yeah, and you're but, seeing a few guys get in town, too. I mean, you know, yeah. the obvious one's Mariano. Then Trevor got in. Then Lee Smith. I mean, so that – paves the way for a guy like Wag Wagner, who was just dominant. I mean, yeah, just a dominant guy. And that ridiculous thing about he didn't get the postseason wasn't good. It's like, come on. It's like 10 innings, I think, in 11 yeah. innings. And one of them, he got hurt with the Braves. One of those yeah. innings. So, yeah, he pulled his oblique in that first game he pitched. Yeah. And ste- who steps forward? Craig Kimbrell. Dirty Craig. Dirty, Dirty Craig, Craig showed up. Back in the East. <laughs> back in the East. Yep. All right. Well, that was great. That was a great first guest. Alex was incredible. Um, God, the dude can talk, man. I love how he lays it out there. Um, I love that he buys into what I believe in, and I love that it's working. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I just wanted to get his perspective on the on the long contracts and all that, and, and you know, for him to acknowledge that, yeah, we're going to have to go over $22 million at some point. That's But that has been in, in-house their figure. And he acknowledged it. And that's the yeah, way that they know they can build a roster by staying within that. But obviously it's going to have to change. But And one guy's going to have to change for is Max Freed. Because he ain't signing for $22 million a year. No, well, uh, as Max is going to be in a different position too where it's, it's, he's not getting 10 years. You right. Know? I mean, right. being he's an older 30 years pitcher, old. almost 30 years old. He's going to have to max out on four or five years. And, you know, right. if they're staying at 22, there's no chance. Right. With the pitching market the way it's been the last couple of years, Max is going to get – I mean, if he stays healthy this year, he's going to get 30. 30, For a easy. short deal, maybe for a four-year deal. Yeah. And I think Alex I think Alex would – knows it's going to take 
well over 25. And I think that they will make a competitive offer. And I think he kind of hinted at that. All that stuff he said about Max, I know he said similar stuff about Dansby and Freddie, but that was a lot of stuff about Max and stressing the importance of the rotation long-term and how, you know, they only had two guys, you know, back from that. So I think he was putting it out there that they're going to make a run at him. If you do it now, you're buying out two years of arbitration. And then, then you could buy out two years of free agency. If you wait another What's year. What's he making in arbitration? Oh, man. I mean, he hasn't gone yet this year. I'm guessing they haven't settled it. but No, he hasn't. He's up high single digits. I'd have to look at MLB trade room. So he made, he made 6.8 last year. He'll probably be at 10. Yeah. Yeah. 10 or 11. And then that last one, you're at like 15 to 20, depending on how the season goes. Mm-hmm. I can go into free agency and only get a $2 million raise. Yeah, I mean, it's a tough spot, man, because of, uh, you know, he's such a late bloomer because of missing two years. But this is going to be his one big contract. He's not going to be Scherzer, I don't think, you know. Not many people are. Or, or Verlander. But I like what Alex also said about he's going to age well. We've said the same thing. He's himself in great shape. He's a great athlete. He's not going to get heavy. Uh, projection is $12.2 million. MLBTR. So, yeah. Yeah, most of the time. They're pretty close most of the time. All right, that's it. I got to use the bathroom. So, (laughs) 755 is real. (laughs) We are out. Thanks again to Alex. It was a great guest. And I hope you guys enjoyed that. And uh, thanks for the great question that we had from a subscriber, by the way, Kelly. Uh, That's it. 755 is real. We will be on again next week at some point. And and then we'll pick it up to a week when spring training starts. It's only four weeks away, man, believe it or not. Little four and a half. I know. They're gonna, it it's going to be a longer spring. This is the time as a player where you start hitting panic yeah. mode. You're like, shit, you know, have I done everything I need to do? Because you kind of get comfy in the offseason. Then you realize, damn, world, four weeks away, you kind of have to speed up and lock in right about now. And a longer spring training, a little bit because of the World Baseball Classic. Those guys are going to arrive early. Braves are going to have fortunate, I think. They don't have many guys at all on doing that. So they're going to have more time together than some of these teams that got like nine guys going to the WBC. Braves I'll might have one or two. That thing has become really cool. Yeah, it has been, especially what, for the Latin countries, man. It's huge for yeah. them. Well, they've they've carried it yeah. because they decided that, no, we're going to care about this thing. Yeah, and the fans you know, care. It, it would have been easy for that thing to just be kind of a showcase and everybody yeah. going in cruise control. The Latin dudes said no. Yeah. We're here to win. We're going to, you know, we're going to celebrate and act like it's a – yeah. A Huge. real thing. It's been fun to watch. I'm excited for it. All right. That's it. 755 is real. We are out. Thanks, everybody. Yeah.